And you realize that at one point there were hopes and there was dreams and there were promises that were made. And now I'm stuck in the reality of what life truly is, which is where we find ourselves in life a lot, don't we? I mean, that's where Ray Kinsella has found himself when we encounter him in this movie. We catch up with Ray when now he's a, a grown man, when he has a family of his own. And he's looking back on his life, and he's looking back on his life in a way that brings a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Because when he was young, and when he looked out what, what his life was going to be, it was filled with hope. It was filled with dreams. It was filled with promises. Especially when it came to the relationship with his father. But his life played out, and as his years went by, he was stuck with a brutal reality. He was struck with a brutal reality. Fractured his relationship with his father. And he spent the rest of his life looking back at it, wondering, I wonder if there was a way that could have, it could have ever been different. You ever find yourself thinking about that in life? I mean, not just in a movie where you have a main character who, despite the fact that nobody else can see what he sees, he can see it as clear as day. But in your own life, where at one point you could see what the hope was and you could see what the promise was and you could so clearly see what your dreams were. But as vividly as you once could see it, then you can't. Now it's like you're looking through a mist or a fog or a desperate pain of something that's lost. Now don't get me wrong. Don't miss here. I, I think it would be manipulative, and I think it wouldn't be right to kind of get up here and, and, and try to have one another uh, agree with each other that somehow life is, is horrible and life is, is, is really hopeless. And it's not. And a lot of us are here today, and we're, we're here in the middle of our hopes and our dreams and our promises, and everything feels... As if it's being fulfilled. But I also don't think it would be truthful to not admit that there are times when reality sinks in. And the reality that we experience doesn't resemble the hope and the dream and the promise that we once had. <laughs> I think about this with, with parenting <laughs> a lot. My wife and I didn't uh, have kids until I was 33 and she was 32. And a lot of our friends and our siblings had had kids before us. And so as my wife and I went into parenthood, we thought to ourselves, well, it's going to be really easy because we're older and we're you know, so much more mature than they were. And we're above such petty things that they reduce themselves to as parents. I mean, as parents, we were never going to use the, the crutches that people like that would use. I mean, we would never be the kind of parents and 
that would give our kids dessert before dinner until we did. <laughs> we would never be, I mean, my goodness, I had a friend, a friend of mine from high school, and I remember when his son was born, and we were talking on the phone one day, and he was telling me, he's like, oh, he just won't go to sleep, he just won't go to sleep. And he said that every single night, as his son was getting ready for bed, he would literally take his son out into the car, strap him into the car street and car seat and drive around the streets for a half hour to put his kid to bed. And I thought to myself, who would ever do? I mean, literally, just let the kid cry it out until we had our daughter. And it didn't go that way. We'd put her to bed and we'd think that she would cry it out. And all of a sudden, we're thinking, she's going to hurt herself. She's crying so much. So we bought a swing. We bought a swing and we had a very perfectly good crib in her room that was empty every minute of every day. And we had this motorized swing that was next to our bed that we'd sit our leg out of the bed and kick it from time to time <laughs> to send her back into motion. And we were so, we're like, how, 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 did, we, how did we get here? I remember she was three months old and we, went and we went and stayed in the hotel. And I looked at my wife and I said, please tell me we're not bringing the swing. <laughs> so we check into the hotel and I go out and I have the walk of shame past the front desk <laughs> as I'm bringing the swing through the lobby. <laughs> and the people who work the front desk are supposed to be nice and kind. And the person working the front desk looked at me and said, that fit in your car? said, no, it didn't. I strapped it to the roof of the car. <laughs> that summer we went, and I was teaching at Okaboji fa Family Bible Camp. And we bring our daughter and our son because it's family camp, or else we would have left them home. <laughs> and we bring the swing to Bible camp. We thought to ourselves, oh, it was so easy to see the way it was going to be until it wasn't. Until reality struck, until we were forced <laughs> into a situation that was beyond us. And it's not just the funny stories of the follies of our parenting. Because our kids are great, they're wonderful. And I fully, fully admit that the problems that I'm talking about aren't real problems at all. But I'm talking about the bigger problems. Think about all of the couples that I talk to continually. People who have been married not even for that long. And they talk about the way that they thought that their marriage was going to work out. The way that it was supposed to be. The hopes, the dreams the promises that were made. And it was so easy to see once upon a time how, how wonderful it was going to be and, until it wasn't. Until reality set in. And all of a sudden, it was in the reality that you start to think to yourself, maybe I was a fool for even thinking that these things were possible. 
and maybe the best that I have to hope for, and maybe the best that life has to offer is just to do the best I can to deal with reality and to abandon such foolish things. It's, it's not just parenting, is it? It's not just marriage, is it? I mean, think about, think about your own life. Think about the people that you're around the most. What's the reality? What's the roadblock? What's, what's the obstacle that has been encountered that seems that there's no way to get from here back to here? The best you have is to just make it through. So we come to church and we want to hear from God's word. And in a sense, that almost makes it seem as if it's even worse. Because we hear God's word and we encounter people who have faith. And it's not because they're insensitive and it's not because God is somehow de detached, but, but somehow we, we, we place the, the reality of our own lives and, and we place our value and who we are based on what, what our current reality is. And we say, well, well, if there is a God and if there is a God who is loving and who is caring and who wants what's best for his children, then why does God seem to be so far up here and... Well, me, I'm way down there. And, and so sure, it might seem to work for you. But it doesn't work that way for me. At one point, maybe it did. And at one point, when I was new and it was fresh, it all seemed to make sense until it didn't any longer. Which is why this passage that we are focusing on this weekend is so important. Caught in the fog of life, caught in places that you can't see, we have this promise, this hope, this dream that, that, that's not what we have for ourselves, but, but what God has for us that, that cuts through, that, that, that gives us a way, that gives us a, a truth and gives us a life when all of those things seem to be so distant. But it's so, it's so hard to see it. I mean, I think about, I think about where the disciples are when we, we pick up the story. John 14 is where we find ourselves this weekend. John's account of Jesus' life. John makes no mistakes in his descriptions and in his stories of Jesus on, on who Jesus truly is. 
that Jesus is more than just a good human and Jesus is more than just a, a great moral example and Jesus is, is more than just a great teacher. That Jesus is 100% in flesh. He, he's God and that's why John shares these statements that Jesus makes throughout John's gospel, these I am statements, where Jesus is saying more than a simple metaphor that, that I am not just like something or resemble something, that, that, that I am the bread of life, that I am the good shepherd, that I am the light of the world, that I am the one thing like we talked about last week, the resurrection and the life. Most powerful thing. Jesus says, I can stand at death's door and win a victory. I have to think that at that point for those disciples, for all those people who had witnessed the reality of who Jesus is, all of their hopes and all of their dreams and all of the promises were realized. But it's in this where it seems from their perspective that everything starts to fall apart. Because it does sometimes, doesn't it? Don't for a minute ever think that there's anybody that has this faith thing figured out perfectly. Because sometimes reality hits that can blind our eyes the way it blinded the disciples in John 14. Think about it, John 11, Jesus just raises Lazarus from the dead. But so quickly we get to John chapter 12 and it says that even though there were people that were witnesses of the miracles that Jesus performed, many of them didn't believe in him. They walked away. John 13, Jesus and his disciples are, are sitting down for a meal that they're going to share one, with one another. We'd refer to it as the Last Supper. In the middle of this meal, Jesus looks at his disciples, these people who had left everything to follow him. They'd given up everything to follow him. Jesus had called them and maybe at this point they're starting to wonder if they were foolish for answering. They'd left behind their families. They'd left behind their careers. At this point, maybe they'd even left behind their good name. John 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, one of you is going to betray me. <laughs> Start to look at one another. I wonder how it could be. Then Jesus goes on and he says, I'm, I'm going to have to leave you. You're, you're going to leave? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to leave? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Who are we going to follow? Jesus, how, how could you leave us here? We'll, we'll follow you. Wherever you go, we'll follow you. He says, where I'm going, you can't follow. What do you mean we can't follow? It was your invitation in the first place. 
We dropped everything to pursue what you were about. And now you're saying that the road is closed, that the journey is, what do you mean? Peter presses a little bit more. He says, no, Jesus, I would, Jesus, I would. You said that I was the rock on which you were going to build your church. Jesus, I would follow. You know I would follow you. I'm the one who got out of the boat. I would follow you to death. Jesus says, no, Peter. No, Peter, before morning comes, you're going to deny me. That word's a little soft. The word that Jesus uses more accurately would say, you're going to disown me three times. They got to be thinking to themselves, how can it come undone so fast? How did we get from here to here? Which I think a lot of us are. So when we get to John 14, verse 1, what Jesus says almost seems offensive. This passage, John 14, 1 to 6 and 1 to 7, this passage is read, I would say, at almost 90% of the funeral services that I do. And every time I read these words, every time I read this first verse in John chapter 14, my voice catches because there's a part of me that doesn't even want to say it because it seems to be offensive. It seems to be callous. It seems to be so detached from the experience that the loved ones are encountering. Where Jesus looks to his disciples, these people who had witnessed that everything was falling apart, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. I, I, I don't know. But for me, I'd have to say, who do you think you are? Don't let my heart be troubled. Trust you? You just said you're leaving. You just said where you're going, we can't follow. Trust? Trouble? You want to know, you want to know what the reality is? Sure, you can go, you can leave this, but what, what about us? Do you even care about us? But Jesus doesn't stop there. Thank God. He says there's more than enough room. And I need to leave so I can prepare a place for you. So I can go and secure your place. So that where I am going, you will always be. And you know the way it is to where I'm going, Jesus says. Thomas responds with the words that had to have been on everybody's hearts. No, Lord, we don't know. How could we ever know the way? I mean, I think that's one of, for me, one of the most difficult aspects about reality. Sometimes it 
forces me to think that there is no way. And I would love to. And I would do anything to be able to kind of get myself from here to there, but, but I don't even know where to start. I mean, Thomas isn't asking for physical directions. Thomas is asking for hope, which is a dangerous thing to have sometimes, isn't it? Maybe that's where you are here today. You want to know the way. You want to know that maybe there's the possibility that you could still have hope. But you don't even know where to start. And you think that maybe your cause is lost because of you. Can I share with you some good news? This is exactly what Jesus is talking to. This is exactly where Jesus is speaking into, in my opinion, and, and, and I'm biased. But in the most powerful I am statement that Jesus has, I mean, there's nothing that's more life-giving than I am the resurrection and the life. We can't argue that. But when I'm caught in the reality of my life, sometimes I need to know that there is a way that somehow it's going to be okay, that somehow it's going to get better, and somehow Jesus is going to show up where it seems like there is no way. And this is precisely what Jesus says when he responds to Thomas's questions. He says, Thomas, you want to know how to get there? Thomas, you want to know the answer to the situation that you have found yourself? Thomas, you want to know where you turn and where you go when everything seems as if it's lost? Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You don't have to search for it any longer because it is showing up in your doorstep and it's here right now and it's for you. And Thomas, you don't have to go and pursue it. Thomas, it has pursued you. I am the way. I've come and I'm here. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. You want to know if you crack open the heart of God, what's at the very center? It's this statement. Luke puts it this way in, in Luke chapter 15. Luke, Jesus tells three stories. He says, imagine you're a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one of them goes lost. The shepherd would leave the 99 to pursue the one who is lost. Imagine, imagine you're a woman who has 10 coins, coins of great value. And imagine that one of those coins goes missing. Jesus says, wouldn't that woman overturn everything in her house to find the one coin that is? Imagine a Man has two sons. See, this is the hard one. Because in the first two, we can say it's by accident. 
But don't you think that Jesus is getting to the center of the truth on this last one? Imagine a man has two sons and one of them leaves. By his own decision. It was his choice. He walked away. But Jesus says that father would spend every day that his son was away, hoping that the son who was would come home. See, Jesus knows that in our reality, we can lose the hope and the dream and the promise that God has given to us. And so often we think that we need to somehow get ourselves up to God to make it okay, but the radical nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that God expects us to come to him, but God has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ that where there is no way, he makes a way. Where there is nothing but confusion, there is no truth, he is the truth. He's the foundation, he's the center of our lives. And where there is no life and when we can't find our life, he shows up to restore it in our lives, to bring our hopes into our midst so that we can dare to hope in the promise that he has given us. That's the, it's the center of the story. One of the difficulties of life is we get this backwards. We think that it's about us getting back to God and about us trying to force and restore the reality that we're experiencing and earning our way back to the hopes and the dreams and the promises that we once had. <laughs> but you see, with God, it's different. Because of Jesus Christ, don't make any mistake about it, because of Jesus Christ, it's different. Because God came down to us. See how much the Father loves us, the Bible says, because he gave everything he had up for us to give us a way and a truth and a life so that heaven would come to earth. It's the center of the gospel. That's good news. And it's a promise that is given to us that nothing and no experience and no reality, no matter how dark and permanent that thing might be in your life, nothing can separate you from God because of his love he has for you that's been shown in the cross. I mean, if it was up to the disciples to do this whole thing, that ship sailed. But thank God he had different plans. And he does for, for me and for you. I mean, it's what Paul gets to in Romans 8. You want to know truth? Nothing can separate you from God's love. Everybody say nothing. 
Say nothing. Nothing Nothing can separate you from it. Nothing. So as everything is unraveling for those disciples, Jesus stands in opposition, not to the disciples, but to the reality that they were experiencing and offers them a gift that will set them free, his body and his blood, which is how we close today.